This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When it gets cold out there, your vehicle needs some extra attention. You know this. Just as you know that O'Reilly Auto Parts has everything you need to help keep your vehicle toasty warm. From choosing the right antifreeze for your engine to replacing your windshield wiper blades, O'Reilly will help get your car or truck in fighting shape for the cold weather ahead. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. I I like to quote Gautama Buddha. And he said, everything can be medicine if used at the right time in the right place. And anything can be poison if used at the wrong time or the wrong place. If you're determined to escape the difficulty or the pain or some situations in your life, anything you use is going to be a gateway drug because something's going to work to help you escape and then that's not going to work anymore and then you have to advance to something else. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. What's cracking? This is episode 70, and our guest is Ricky Williams. People have always tried to define Ricky Williams, either by the Heisman Trophy he won at Texas, or the eight picks that the Saints traded to draft him, or the marijuana he smoked, and the resulting suspensions. But there's always been so much more to Ricky. He lives a fascinating life. He's a fascinating person. A conversation with Ricky Williams can go almost anywhere, and this one did. So pot up, F70 with Ricky Williams gets started right now. Ricky, you know, like they say, it's been a minute or two since you and I had a chance to talk and get caught up. It is so good to have you on this podcast, Rick. How are things? I can't complain. Things are pretty good. I just, you know, I'm a week out of the Big Brother house, and life's getting back Back to normal. I'll tell you what, I can't wait to ask you about what it was like in that house. But let me ask you this first. You're about seven years removed from your last NFL game, but you said recently that this is actually your first year where you're off to your second life. What do you mean by that, and what's that second life look like? Well, it, I mean, it looks very different than, than my life as an NFL player. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm back in school, so that takes up a, a good amount of my time. But, you know, instead of hurting people or protecting myself I'm doing a lot of healing work and I'm an astrologer now and I I do a lot of body work and it's just really great to take my experiences on the field and off the field and translate them into a way that I'm helping other people yeah it's great It, it is such a different life you know players literally spend their entire lives focused on that one thing and then that becomes their entire identity and then they leave the game and suddenly it's just ripped from them what's that like and did you experience any of that yourself well, you know, I feel like the first time I retired in 2004, I, I had a practice run, and I spent that time traveling around the world, and, and really that's when, that's when everything I'm doing now started. I started to get a sense of who I was outside of only being a football player, and so when I came back in 2005, I was spending the football season doing football stuff, but I was spending my off time developing this other side of myself, and so when I retired second time in 2012 I felt like the main reason I retired is because I was I was ready to do something different that I had set the groundwork and, and prepared my life pretty much my for my second lifetime 
All right, so uh, how about that first life, that football life? I mean, clearly, when I hear you talk about things like astrology and healing and wellness, I mean, it's very clear you've got a passion for all those things. Did you have that same passion for football that you now have for non-football things? That's a great, great question. And I think, I think that's why I'm, I'm, I'm having so much success in, in the second lifetime is because I am bringing this, the same passion and even the skill set that I learned as a football player to this. I mean, as a football player, you have to learn a playbook and you have to go out there and execute. And there's a certain expectation of excellence that, that I experience on a daily basis, and I, I bring those same characteristics to, to everything I'm doing now. And one of the things that most people wouldn't think of is the kind of healing work I do. You know, people have to face traumas and things that have scared them. And I think the warrior mentality that I developed as a football player has really put me in a position, and the things that I've overcome in my own personal life have put me in a position to really guide people through some difficult and, and scary stuff. You know, there's some really good stuff in there to unpack. You know, when you talk about that warrior mentality, I mean, don't get this twisted, Rick. You had that. I mean, you absolutely had that. I thought you were an amazing back. I thought you had a great work ethic, and you competed hard, hard, hard. But I thought that you were kind of different in the sense that, correct me if I'm wrong, you were kind of a gentle soul at the same point in a really brutal business. I mean, was there anything you had to reconcile? Did you ever kind of fight that, that warrior mentality that you needed to survive and, and really achieve? Yeah, I mean, I think the soft part of myself, I think it led to some naivete and disillusionment about about a football organization or, or a team. Is and I, What I loved about playing at the University of Texas is I could go on the field and be a warrior, but when I was off the field, the support system around us, it felt like a family, and, and there was that balance. And I think when I got into the NFL and I realized I didn't have that support, that support team to balance that, that softness, and I was just expected to be a warrior all the time, that... I didn't. I didn't function optimally in that in that environment. Um, and but through it all, you know, I've, I'm learning what's in, what's important to me and the, and how important family. And I don't mean blood family, but just those people that you can really share intimately and deeply with, and you can get stuff off of your chest around. And how important that is for me to to balance that warrior mentality. You mentioned Big Brother. I can't imagine that in a 30 day span you developed relationships that had those kind of bonds, or maybe you did. I mean, let me ask you. You gave that thing a hell of a run now. You came in second overall, and to me, Ricky, it's even more impressive given how private and introverted you really are. I mean, what was it like to be locked up in a house for a month with all those people? That's a really good point you make. And my my strategy in my going in was to be myself. And, and because I am such a private person and i prefer deep conversations to small talk it wasn't the easiest thing to go into a house with you know a dozen celebrities and and try to be real and so i i played the game to the my to the best of my ability and, and i i loved the challenge of it because i knew you know the advice i gave to people is i say listen you got to realize who you are what your strengths are what your weaknesses are and whatever they are use them to play the game to the best of your ability and so when I went in the house, I just tried to have deep conversations with everyone to create some kind of connection or bond so it was harder for them to get rid of me. <laughs> and, you know, it, it seemed to work until the end, but then I, I realized as I was giving my speech to, to, to the jury that, you know, I had developed deep conversations with these people, but then some of them, you know, I had to get rid of. And so it created some kind of tension, and it didn't, it didn't bode well for me in the end, but... You know, I was proud of myself for playing my game and and developing close relationships and and really turning a difficult situation, challenging situation, into something that was, 
you know, made a little extra extra money, and, and it was just a great experience to, to, to go through. Listen, it seems to me, not only did you play your game, I mean, you went in with your plan, your game, you stayed true to yourself, but you were real, and you had that runner-up finish. I mean, you gave that thing a real good run, as I mentioned. So, like, were you about the process and the experience, or as an athlete, did the competitive juices kick in, and were you pissed you didn't win? No, I, I didn't. I didn't feel competitive really the, the whole time. And what I got clarity on was, competition was really a part of my my first half of my life. But honestly, uh, even that part, I didn't. I didn't play football as a competitor. I loved football because it was an opportunity to get better. So competing against myself, and it was an opportunity to go out there and, and have fun. And the thing I loved most about football was watching my teammates achieve beyond their, their own expectations. And I brought those same, that same energy into the, into the house. And I think, you know, we had a little alliance because I do well in a team watching people have each other's back. It, that, that just excites me. And the, the experience and the challenge of playing a game is, is what I loved about Big Brother. I mean, I'm a, I'm a person that usually I sleep well. But in that house, because there's always, you're always having to think and pivot and strategize, like, I'd go to bed at night, and my mind would just start running through scenarios and through scenarios. And it was beautiful, this process, is, is if you stay with something long enough and you look at all the angles, that you can figure out a plan that can, that, that can work. I mean, I remember Coach Sperano would always say, the reason I love football is because you get to see who does it better. You get to take your game plan and see if you can execute it and see if it's better than the next person. And I just found, like, every day I was coming up with different game plans and different strategies of, of how to make the game work. Get it. Now, you mentioned Coach Sperano. is Tony Sperano, of course. And, I mean, watching you again, I think you're such a big process guy that I could see why you love football because you wanted to you wanted to overcome, you wanted to achieve, you wanted to see how you could get better every single day, and then you wanted that for your teammates as well. So I could see how that process would work. You mentioned Sperano. Now, you played for some really interesting coaches, some great coaches, some big-name coaches. If I had to ask you, and I know the answer, I think, and it's kind of surprising to some, who was your favorite coach to play for? No, no doubt, Nick Saban. There's no... No doubt. I mean, I love playing for Mike Dicka. He was fun to play for, but, but Nick. You know what I loved about Nick is he was tough, but, but you, you knew what he, the expectation was. And to him, he, didn't, he rewarded playing good, hard football, and that's what I love to do. So we, you know, we, bonded, we bonded strongly, and, and we were on the same page. Isn't that interesting? Like, not only did you say Nick Saban, but you're like, that's easy. That's a really easy one to answer, Nick Saban. Because on the outside looking in, and again, I'm on the outside looking in. You look at this guy, and he looks like, I mean, a great, a great coach, but such a red ass, you know, so hard line. And you're a really thoughtful guy. I mean, you played a physical game and a physical brand of football, but it wouldn't seem like you'd align. And then he didn't fare well in the NFL. So, like, do you think that he would have been a great NFL coach given time, or was he just better suited for the college game? Yeah, I think, I think given time, um, he, he would have been successful. I mean, I, the one year I played for him, we – it was a rough start, but we ended up winning the last six games, and we beat you know a playoff team in the Chargers, and we beat a playoff team in the Patriots to to end the year. So he he had us. It just took a while for him to get buy-in at this level because he he brought in kind of a college mentality. But once we bought in, it, you could see the joy and love of the game that we all had in college come back, and it really it really became about playing the best football we could. And if you get enough guys with character in that message, you're going to have a good football team.
You know, I'm going to circle back, Ricky, in a minute to what you're doing right now, but you mentioned Bill Parcells, and he has always been a source, I think, of great fascination to a lot of people both within and outside of the sport. He was running the Dolphins at that time. What was your relationship like with him? Did you connect with him? Oh, for sure. I mean, it, and it started literally day one. So he came in, and he, he, he addressed the whole team. And this was at the very end of, of, uh, of Cam's tenure in, in Miami. And he had this big, like, he had a big book, and he dropped it on the table, and he said, this is all the injuries that you guys have had this year. And he said, people that have been injured are not going to play for this team. He said, people that have been troublemakers are not going to play for this team. And I had just come back from a year-and-a-half suspension, so I was in my, in my mind thinking, okay, so who am I going to play for next year? Right. And as soon as the meeting was over, he called me up into his office, and he said, he said I think you're a great football player, and I, wanna, I want you to, to stick around, and I want to be a, a big part of your success. And, you know, for me, for the ups and downs that I've been through, for someone like Bill Parcells to, to believe in me and want to contribute to my success, um, we had a wonderful relationship. And, you know, we'd meet periodically for lunch and, and talk about life and talk about football. And, you know, that relationship, you know, with him, to me, made my whole football experience worth it because it really helped me keep perspective on life and not get lost in just the football bubble. You know what I love about that story? I love the fact that I can only imagine what you must have thought when you found out that he wanted to talk to you after that meeting. But my favorite part of that story is that he wanted to talk about not just football, but life. I mean, you think about an old school guy like Parcells, you're thinking football, football, football. Like what kind of discussions did you have about life with him? Like what was his viewpoint? You know, it was usually shrouded in, in football analogies, you know, and he would have fun with it. You know, I remember, um, I think it was 2009, um, Ronnie ended up getting a foot injury, and, and so I had to take on a bulk of the carries. And I, and I got to my locker that, that first Wednesday, and there was um, like a gas can, <laughs> right. a gas can next to my locker. And, and I was wondering, what is this? What the hell was that? I saw him later in the day, and he's like, I just was wondering if you had any gas left ah. in your tank. Right. And, and, and I kind of laughed, but it turned into a, a conversation about, like, you know, he says you were built. You were built to play football, and so you you play it until you're done. And the most memorable conversation I had with was after my my last season in Baltimore. You know, we we just missed the Super Bowl, and so I was really excited about coming back to Baltimore and you know ending my career on a, on a high note. And and so I reached out to to Bill, and I told him how excited I was to start training. And he and he said, you know, he said, don't chase this thing too long. There's other ways that you can contribute. And in coming from him, it really sh- like got me out of again the football bubble and, and and helped me start thinking about the bigger picture and what I really wanted to do with my life, and and that really encouraged me to to step away from football again and, and start this new path. Hey, check this out. Remember the year 1989? You know, the year the World Wide Web was invented. Yeah, well, we've come a long way in 30 years. So why does it feel like the software that you use every single day at work is stuck in the past? Take a leap into the future by finding the right software for your business on Capterra.com. Capterra is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. Search more than 700 specific categories of software. What I'm saying is, no matter what kind of software your business needs, Capterra makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Join the millions of people who use Capterra every single month to find the right tools for their business. Like here in the jungle. 
I knew my software was whack. I knew it was outdated. I had no idea until I jumped in with Captera. I'm telling you, it's making a huge difference for us, and it can for you too. Visit capterra.com slash Rome for free today, and you'll find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. capterra.com slash Rome. Let me spell that for you. Captera, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash Rome. As you look back right now, what seems more bizarre to you Throwing on the wedding dress with Mike Ditka for the cover of ESPN The Mag or Ditka trading away an entire draft to get you? Definitely di- trading, trading away the entire draft. I mean, I, 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 was a, I was a really good college football player, but, you know, I, I think it was just hard for everyone to, to really make sense of that in, in real life. And I think it was an amazing gesture and, you know, something that, you know, I'll probably be remembered for for, for a long time. But it was it was too much for for the organization, for the team, for his coaching career, for my time in New Orleans to to overcome. And it wasn't until you know I was shipped away to Miami that the Saints could move past it and, and move towards their first Super Bowl, and, and I could move on and, and get my career going. Um, but it was again, it's a great story, but it was just tough to make it work. Sure. And then the wedding dress is is that one you'd like to have back, or maybe is that one you would do again? I would do it again, you know. I was I was young and I was naive, and, and you know at the time I was best friends with Dan Lebertard, who was writing for ESPN the magazine, and he called me up and he's like, you know, we're trying to do this cover to exemplify the nature of the relationship between you and Coach Dicka, and we we threw a bunch of ideas back and forth, and finally he said, what about a marriage? And and the truth is, I didn't I didn't think I didn't think twice about it. I thought it was like I thought it would be funny, and it was like hollow like Halloween. And I remember, you know, landing in La Crosse, Wisconsin for, for training camp, and, you know, all the reporters were sit, standing outside the plane with the, the magazine in their hand, and it was a big deal. And, you know, I would do it over in the sense that I didn't, it wasn't fun to start my NFL career with so much controversy, you know, especially for me, I'm just about getting to work, and that, all that was such a distraction. But as far as the, the statement it made, um, you know, I don't regret that. Just the timing of it was it just made it more stressful starting my NFL career. I got you. All right, so now you're on to your new path, and you've got an herbal company. Actually, you have more than one company, but an herbal company called Real Wellness. What does that company do? Yeah, so when I retired back in 2004 and you know went on this, this journey, um, I, I came in contact with something called Ayurveda, which is a natural healing um, method from, from India. And it basically body work and herbs are their main treatment modalities. And so I started learning about the medicinal power of herbs. And when I ended up coming back to the NFL, I started treating myself with, you know, with herbal formulas and things that I was, that I had learned about. And it was, it was pretty effective. Um, so after retiring this time, um, second time, I went back to Texas, got my bachelor's degree and, and I'm now enrolled in a master's program in Chinese medicine, which very in a similar way, you know, they use needles, body work, and herbs as their main treatment modalities. And so with my history with cannabis and my history learning about herbs, I saw a hole in the market where, where people are saying that marijuana is medicinal, but if you go to a dispensary, there, you see it's, it's not. You know, people really aren't making medicinal marijuana products. And so I started, since marijuana is an herb, I started taking herbal formulas from India, from America, from China 
and combining it with either THC or CBD, depending on the therapeutic effect, and actually creating real medicinal marijuana. As opposed to simply recreational marijuana. Now, if you go way back, I mean, as you began this process and you started to learn about yourself and your body, as an example, you had an ulcer at age 20. What was that from? It's from, you know, I was popping eight Advil a day just to, to practice. I had, I had really bad shin splints uh, when I was at Texas, and in order to, to get through practice, I had to, had, to take some, had to take pain medication. And, you know, most players in the NFL are having to take NSAIDs or really strong anti-inflammatories on a daily basis just to feel decent in practice. Ricky, do you think guys, I mean, you can't speak for everybody, and I would never generalize either or even try to, but when guys do that, I mean, do you think that, they have an issue with that and they would rather not do that and there are alternative forms or they don't know or they don't care and they're going to do what they have to do to get on the field what do most guys think about that yeah i think i think it's it's all across it's all along the spectrum and i think as people are are more educated i know when i first started you know popping pills to be able to pitch in high school i didn't think anything of it i thought you know i didn't consider that doing this over a long term would have any effect and then when i got the ulcer i had to start I had to start thinking differently about how I, how I handle pain. But for me, the priority was get on the field and do it any way that I can. And it wasn't until I think my second year in Miami that I kind of woke up and realized, you know, all of us are coming in every day either to get a pill or to get a Toradol shot. And, and I'm thinking over a 10-year career, that can't be good for our bodies. And on a, on a mental, emotional level, it's the idea that we've, we're creating this, this life where we have to numb our bodies to be able to function where I think one of the keys to health is being aware of your body. So I think far more dangerous than what these pills are doing to our, our liver, they're really messing up our relationship to our own bodies, where you know, most retired football players, you know, we're afraid of, you know, when we get up, or we, as we get older, we're going to have less use of our limbs. You know, most of us are going to have to have knee replacements, hip replacements. And, and I've found, you know, doing yoga, meditation, using herbs that it's not alienating me from my body, but I feel like I have a better relationship with my body and I'm in a better place to take care of my body. All right, so you've learned these things and you've put these things into practice. You've got a bunch of guys in the NFL right now who are still dealing with pain management. You know, as another example, I had Arian Foster on this very podcast last year and he recently became a big advocate for medicinal marijuana to treat pain. I asked him, Ricky, if cannabis has a legal future in the NFL. I want to play this for you and then get your reaction. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the NFL's reactionary ways anyway. They'll pump their players full of opioids for years, but they'll ban players for a year for weed. You know, it's it's. I, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the NFL's policy making. I don't think they're very forward thinking, so I don't see it happening anytime in the near future. But if it does, that is amazing. I would I would be happy to be wrong. Why do you think the league will quote pump their players full of opioids but not allow weed? What's what's their thinking behind that? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the thinking, but it's been like that for you. I mean, even if you look at I don't think it's necessarily just the NFL. I just think it's um, old people making rules. I think it's just an old way of thinking. It's, it's 2018 is, is, is not 1960. You know what I mean? And we have a lot of people from that era making these rules. And as soon as they go away, progression will happen. So, Ricky, is that the way you see it? Is a matter of the old guard just kind of going away before progression can happen? Is that how it plays out? Yeah, that's exactly the way I see it. I mean, you, you see it in our country and politics. This new wave of of young, you know, congress congressmen and women are starting to to bring up things that haven't been talked about in a long time. And I think that's the key to change is 
it's time for more progressive. It's time for the new guard to come in and and bring us up to date. So let me ask you this. If marijuana, like, for instance, helped you sleep, maybe helped you deal with the physical pounding you took from the game, maybe helped you deal with depression and social anxiety, if it, if it was that effective, how frustrating was it that not only were you not allowed to use it, Ricky, but that it cost you as much as it did back then? You know, it, it, back then it was my, my own experience that, that somehow, you know, me smoking is, is adding to the quality of my life, but I didn't have the support from friends, from, you know, magazines, from doctors. I didn't have the support that, and we didn't have the knowledge that we, that we have now. And so, you know, to a certain extent, ignorance was, was bliss. And the way the story was told, and I partially believed it, is, you know, that it was a drug and I was doing something bad. But as I reflect, you know, I'm not, I'm not a party person. When I would smoke, I'd be by myself, and I'd be reflecting on my performance. I'd be reflecting on the kind of father I was. And so my, my experience of using cannabis, aside from, you know, the, the controversy and the suspensions and the fines, that it improved the quality of my life as a whole. It just created issues in, in the way that, that occurred. And, and I don't want to be one of the people that, you know, says that cannabis is a, is a panacea and it's great for, for everyone. I think... There's things that it's really good for, and there's things that it, it can't help with. And so I think a big part of pushing towards legalization is, is education, and it's having conversations that have been too taboo to have up until this point. And I think that's really another key to the change is educating people. And even if it is the old guard, educating the old guard. I know when I visit dispensaries to, to sell my and promote my products, a lot of the people that are coming into the industry are between the ages of 40 and 70. I mean, that, that's really it's just interesting and surprising, but that's really the biggest push is the old guard. They're looking for alternatives, too. No, understandably. You know, I think it's, it's a conversation and a dialogue that, that has to be had, right, as we all try and educate ourselves because it is becoming more and more popular and there is legalization. But then I see, for instance, Ricky, like Daryl Strawberry, all right, like, I love Daryl Strawberry as an athlete, and he's been to hell and back. And I can appreciate his point of view. But he recently told TMZ that marijuana is a gateway drug, and it led to everything else destructive in his life. I mean, maybe that's his personal experience, but what do you make of those comments, and is the drug a gateway drug? Yeah, well, so, you know, I I like to quote um, Gautama Buddha. And he said, everything can be medicine if used at the right time in the right place. And anything can be poison if used at the wrong time or the wrong place. And that's why I think education is, is so important. If you're, if you're determined to escape the, the difficulty or the pain or some situations in your life, anything you use is going to be a gateway drug because something's going to work to help you escape and then that's not going to work anymore and then you have to advance to something else. So what, what I say to people, and they, you know, they look at me sideways, but I think if someone is going to truly, you know, go down the, the road of using cannabis with THC in it, that they need to have some kind of meditation practice or some kind of way to... Because to, it's, it's very powerful. I mean, when you, when you activate altered states, you start having these different kinds of experiences. And if you don't have any context to, to use these experiences, then essentially you're just using it to escape. But the, the whole idea of a positive type, type of escape that you can get from cannabis is you, you stop hanging on to the details and the things that have you all tied up and you let, allow your mind to relax and get some inspiration that you can, so you can come back and deal with your problems. 
If you're using it to escape your problems, then it's for sure a gateway drug. Ricky, it seems to me that this is a really thoughtful conversation, the one you're having with me right now. I think this is really pretty profound. And I understand, again, that that was a different time. We all change. We all grow. Hopefully, we all evolve. You, me, and everybody else. But as I think back, and I always say this on the programs, all the programs I've done, even when you and I would talk back in the day, we don't know you guys. We really, the fans, the media, we don't really know you athletes. Yet, it seems like when you played the game, there was no shortage of folks who want to form an opinion about what you were doing with those failed drug tests. Perception being that, you know what, Rick, he just chose pot over football. He was just a pothead who chose marijuana over football. Back then, were you cognizant of that? Did that bother you? How did that make you feel when we don't really know you? Yeah, I mean, I, I come to terms with the fact that it's difficult for fans to, to know us. And, and Football players are a different breed. You know, right. I mean, and I'm right. not. I'm not sure that the average fan could handle us. You know, like we're we're a warrior class, and just what we do requires, you know, a, a different way of looking at the world. And so I realized that, especially as a celebrity, we we're symbols, right? And people are going to project stuff onto us. And I realized that people's opinions about me gives you more information about our culture and about them than it does about me. And it was it was very it was a rite of passage for me to, to stop caring so much about what people think. And when I retired, yeah, those, 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 those rumors and those thoughts, they bothered me, but there was a certain point where I was in Australia traveling, learning, and I was, it was the happiest I'd, I'd ever been in my life. And I knew that if this is wrong, then I don't want to be right. And the people that truly care about me are going to care that I'm happy and in a good place. And it provided so much clarity that, that I still have to this day. You know, it's so well said. And when I say that we don't know you, I mean, we really didn't know you. We didn't know what you were dealing with. We didn't know how you were brought up. We didn't know what that family life was like. Like, when you were diagnosed finally with social anxiety disorder, what was it like to have a diagnosis or maybe an explanation attached to the types of things that you were dealing with? It was wonderful because, I mean, I was going through a point where I thought I was losing my mind and I thought I was crazy. And, you know, I was watching television and a commercial came on for Paxil. And they were, you know, listing symptoms of social anxiety disorder. And I identified with, like, seven of the nine. And immediately I called a friend and I said, I need to talk to someone. To talk to someone. And when I was diagnosed and started, you know, sharing my story and sharing parts of myself that I had kept inside, things started to improve. And I think having something to call it initially was great because I realized this is something I can do something about. This is something I can apply my warrior mentality towards and I can overcome. So now on top of this, you've got this non-football life and you've got this next phase of your life and all these non-professional or non-football things you're passionate about. That said, you're the co-founder of a new professional spring league, the Freedom Football League. So with all these non-football things that interest you so much, how did this come together and what was it about a new football league that interests you? Well, it was was natural for me. When the idea first came to me, you know, my initial response was, you know, I've done enough football, and I feel like I'm I'm ready for you know this next stage of my life. And then I, I but I still listened, and I realized that when you know when the idea came to me, it was still in, in its infancy, and that it was an opportunity for me to take some of these non-football ideas and work on integrating them into football. And on a personal level, it, it serves as this amazing opportunity to integrate my past with with my future, and to take things that because everything I've learned that I'm doing now has come from and through my experience with football and as ways to help heal the mental, emotional, and physical damage of playing in the NFL. And also I have this vision for what football can be. 
you know, and I took a class a couple of years ago about the history of sport, and one of the things I learned was in 1906, Teddy Roosevelt, the president at the time, called a, a conference to save football, you know, and his argument was, we're about to go to war and we need something that can train leaders. And I think football is a, is a great way to train men to become, to become leaders and to use it as that first and foremost because what all of us retired players are experiencing is, you know, we're done in our mid-30s and we feel like we have to start over. What if, what if we consciously crafted our, our NFL or our pro football experience to prepare us for life after football? Then it serves as a platform and something that continues to, to benefit us and take care of us the rest of our lives. But there's too many stories of professional football that's destroyed men's and destroyed some retired players' lives. And really trying to, to change that narrative and using all of my experiences as a football and player and post-football to contribute to creating a different way to, to do things. Similar to what Arian pointed out is, you know, we need progressive people to, to start building structures and institutions that, that are more fitting for, for where we are today. Ricky, speaking of platform and progressive thinking, you know, when you see how polarizing Colin Kaepernick's protest against social injustice was, you think about that. Like, when you played the game, I'm sure that you were told by coaches and management, man, just be quiet, be quiet, do not become a distraction to yourself or this team. Anytime a big social issue came up, correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet that's how that went. So how do you want your players in this league to address issues as they come up? 100%. That's exactly what the idea that it was a distraction. And again, for me, it's, it's changing the narrative and saying that, you know, I, I want kids, and this is the way I was. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to play football mainly because of what I saw Jim Brown doing and taking the platform of his athletic ability and having a, a voice. And, and so to me, I, I see starting, I want, you know, kids, when they want to be a football player, yes, they want to make the money and, and help their community, but first and foremost, they see it as a, a way to truly get out and to have a voice and to create change. And to me, that those two things shouldn't be separate. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna help young men earn money and have power, you also have to help them know what to do with that with that kind of influence. All right, so Ricky, before I let so, you go, I know so I'm, I'm gonna yeah. I want I want our players to be educated and to be passionate about things that they see that they'd like to see done differently and not just protest but also work on solutions and ideas or at least use their platform to bring people together to work to work on real change sure sure now i know growing up you were a big bo jackson guy so let me ask you this and to me for my money i don't know that i've ever seen a better pure or more explosive complete athlete than bo jackson you played minor league baseball, and you did so for a number of years in the Philly system, and you're an analyst for the Longhorn Network, so I think you know where I'm going with this. When you think about Kyler Murray, it would appear that he's going to play football over baseball, unless maybe he's still negotiating, but that's how it sounds. And he was a first-round pick of the Oakland A's. Do you personally think he's making the right decision? You know, honestly, I think he's young enough that if he's making the wrong decision, that it's, it's not necessarily too late. But, but I think if you had to go one path first, I think it's smart to go football first because he'll know pretty quickly if it's if it's for him or not, and if it's not, he'll still have his body and still have his youth that he can go back and pursue and pursue baseball. All right. So when you look at him, he you won a Heisman Trophy. He won a Heisman Trophy. I mean, my man, he is electric. And I don't care who you are. If you get if you go into the NFL draft, they're going to pick you apart no matter what coming in. So you know he's going to hear you're not tall enough, you're not big enough, you're not going to be able to take the physical punishment. You know, what do you think? As you look at him, how do you think that he projects on the next level? Does he look to you like a franchise quarterback? 
you know, and I think you you know this so much uh, in any position, but especially in quarterback, it depends. It depends on where you end up. If you end up in a system in a in a head coach or a quarterback coach that gets you, and is going to make you know your success a priority, then I think he can be one of those players. But if they try to fit him in into any kind of conventional mold, I, I think it's not going to go well for him. Hey, Ricky, I don't know. I'm looking at the guys you played quarterback with. I'm not looking to be derogatory in any way, but in your time, and I know you loved your time with the Dolphins, but you lined up behind the likes of Jay Fiedler, Ray Lucas, Brian Greasy, Sage Rosenfels, Gus Farratt, Trent Green, Cleo Lemon, John Beck, Chad Pennington, Chad Henney, Tower Thigpen. I mean, there's some good, good dudes and some good players there, and I respect anybody who's got the heart and the desire and the courage to do that. But was Ronnie the best guy that you ever lined up under center with? Yeah, for for my for my career at that at that point in my career by far. Yeah. What what we were able to do, you know, in oh eight, oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, um it was it was magical and I think, you know, we revived both of our careers. We helped our our quarterbacks, both Chads, have more success because we were so versatile. And it was fun. It was it was fun doing the things that, that we did those years. Uh, you and Ronnie Brown were great. You guys loved each other. What was it like to just like continually demoralize Bill Belichick with that wildcat? Like the smartest defensive guy ever just could not figure that out early on. That's probably my greatest experience in the in the NFL. Just just watching you know an organization, a team, a head coach, a defense that's so always so prepared to watch them unprepared and just fall apart and to, to whoop up on them in Foxborough. What a, what a great day that was. What, six touchdowns and one throwing? That's a pretty good day. Ricky, so people listening right now, there, there's so much. I'm so glad that you and I could come together and get caught up. If people listening would like more information on anything we discussed, whether it's real wellness or anything else you're working on right now, what is the best way for them to connect with you and the things you are working on? Um, I do a lot uh, through my website. And so it's uh, rickywilliams.life, um, and, you know, what I'm doing ast- astrologically, what I'm doing with my herbal companies, what I'm doing personally, it's, it's all up to date on there. Dude, what? I'm not, I'm not really astrologically inclined, but tell me what I saw the other day. When I came to work, I saw the super moon, or I saw a moon that I had never seen before, and I'm telling you, man, it looked like it was 10 feet off the ground. Exactly what was that that I was looking at? Yeah, that's that's more astronomical. Astrological is we take. See, I told you I didn't know what the hell I was talking we, about. We we interpret it symbolically, um, but but that's more astronomical to the the details, the data. Ast- astrologers, we interpret the data. The see data. what I mean? See what I mean? I just told you I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I go back to my college days, and I think I got to see in astrology, or maybe it was astronomy, or I'm just going to stop talking. astronomy, yeah. They don't really teach astrology in schools yet. You mean that my astrological forecast that I see, they don't teach that? Anyway, I'm going to stop talking right now while I'm behind. Rick, (laughs) it it is so good to get caught up with you, man. I appreciate you so much, and that was a great, great conversation. Thank you so much for taking so much time to do that. Yeah, thank you, Jim. This was great. Uh Uh-oh, postage rates have gone up again. Thankfully, though, Stamps.com can ease the pain with big discounts off post office retail rates. You see, with Stamps.com, you can save $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. That kind of savings is going to go a long way. I mean, it really adds up, especially for a small business. They'll send you a free digital scale, automatically calculating exact postage. Stamps.com will even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Stamps.com saves you money. 
money. They give you postage discounts that you cannot get at the post office, including five cents off every first class stamp. And remember, anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do from your desk for less. Not only do I use stamps.com, I hate that I did not find it sooner. I love stamps.com. It creates so much convenience for me and I save money. It is a no brainer and it is so easy. And right now, you can find out for yourself. Check out the special offer. A four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale. So see for yourself why I, along with 700,000 small businesses, use Stamps.com. Simply go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Rome. Once again, go to Stamps.com. Type in Rome. R-O-M-E. Stamps.com. Codename Rome. Big shouts to Ricky Williams for that time. I love getting caught up proper with that dude. I hope you did as well. Before I bust out of here, I want to say that I read an email in the jungle today from somebody who had listened to all 69 episodes before this one. If that's true, what a legend. In fact, you should all be like that guy. Go dive into the back catalog and get to work. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. I promise you will be glad that you did. We've got a guest list as good as anybody's and better conversations as well. So listen to them all and subscribe so you'll never miss one in the future. I appreciate that so much. And I'll be back next week with episode 71. But until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Romy, Justin in Melbourne. I'm at the gym listening to the Daily Jungle, and I am laughing and crying my ass off about your crop dusting story with that ballet. Dude, that is some of the funniest shit I've ever heard. No pun intended. Message saved. Next message. Really, the junk man. This is Alan from Virginia. Uh, I've been watching, listening for years, forever, and uh, uh, I've cannot stop laughing about your the most personal story you've ever told about yourself since I've been following you when the valet barraged your vehicle and, and <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing I'm still laughing about it loved it message deleted next message then schmackawacka what up brother I thought I heard Adam Hawk say <laughs> Message deleted. Next message. Romeus Prime, what's up? This is David and Buffalo calling in. Uh, got to weigh in on that uh, great interview on Friday with Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. I'm more of an old school WWE fan from the late 90s when Stone Cold Steve Austin and D-Generation X and The Rock and guys like Kurt Angle were dominating the squared circle. But I'll tell you one thing. Those guys have a great story. They're obviously, they're very athletic. And most of all, Rome, I'd love to see those guys back in the jungle again. Definitely for an interview on the podcast. But hell, Rome, why stop there? Bring them in as guest hosts. Those guys were fucking awesome, Jimmy. Message saved. Next message. Hey, talk to Romy. I don't know him. Romy, say something. No. Come on. No, I don't know who he is. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, it's Ulrich from uh, Northern California. Dude, you're the you're the new king of all media. I don't know if you know that. It used to be Howard Stern, but now it's you. Okay, and uh, we dig you, bro. Talk to you later. Bye.
Message saved. Next message. Remy Joan, it's Dr. Dave. You know, the Argo signing Poop Johnson, that's a great thing because Poop Johnson is the same thing as uh, what Rex calls his junk after he has his launch angle reversed after having his uh, Morton's lava cake. Growler out. Message deleted. Next message. Jim, this is Wes in Wichita. The Steelers are done. Antonio Brown is gone. Le'Veon Bell is gone. It's all over. Next year, they're last in the division. I know you're a Steeler honk from way back, but it's all over. Late. Message saved. You have no more messages.